Welcome to Firmly Planted Podcast, where we are seeking to be firmly planted into the scriptures for our everyday lives. I hope you enjoy the show. Click subscribe and let's dive into God's word together. And I just want to jump right into what we're going to be studying this episode. And we're going to be looking at how do you approach God's Word? How do you study God's Word? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we open up the Bible, we read, and then we are kind of confused about what we read about. Because there are many things in Scripture that are hard to comprehend. And how can we approach God's Word? How can we actually look at the entirety of Scripture, break it into bite-sized pieces, and understand the God of the universe? It sounds like an impossible feat, but the amazing thing is with the Holy Spirit, we can understand, we can interpret, and we can gather in the Word of God And as Psalm 119.11 says, we hide His Word in our hearts so that we may not sin against Him. And so there are so many benefits to God's Word. We cannot survive, we cannot thrive as Christians without the Word of God. And I want you to think about this for a moment. There are 168 hours in a week. 168 hours in a week. And how many minutes of those hours. I'm not talking about hours, but how many minutes of those hours do we spend in personal time in God's Word? And that's a question that you have to answer for yourself. And that is the starting place. 168 hours in a week, and how many minutes, how much time do you spend in God's Word? Personal time, personal fellowship, with God through the scriptures. In 2016, there was a survey that was given and it reported that only 27% of Christian Americans said that they spend 15 to 30 minutes a day in the Bible. 27%. Now, that, in my personal opinion, is extremely low for people who call themselves followers of Jesus. 27% of Christians surveyed said that they spend 15 to 30%. There's a large number that does not spend time in God's Word 15 to 30 minutes a day. And there is no time limit. I want to go ahead and be upfront about that and be very clear. I am not giving a time limit on God's Word. I'm not saying, okay, if you do not spend 30 minutes and 39 seconds and milliseconds a day, Uh, in Scripture, then you are not a follower of Jesus. That is not at all what I'm saying. But there is some validity to the fact that the more that we have a love for God, the more that we desire to know God stems from our time in God's Word. And the more we spend time in God's Word, the more we grow in our love for God, and we will spend time. We spend time in things that we love to do. If you like fishing, you go and fish. If you like to hunt, we're in an area, our church is in an area that loves to hunt and fish. And I promise you, if you are a person who loves to hunt and fish, you will make sure that in the seasons of, 
of the hunting that you want to go to do, you're going to go hunt. It, it will happen. And we do the things that we desire to do. If you play sports, if you love basketball or football, you put the time, you put the effort to be a good player, to listen to the coach, to understand the plays. You do the disciplines that are necessary to grow and thrive in that sport. So how much more should we do that spiritually in our walk with Jesus? We cannot grow but so much through listening to sermons in the one hour, maybe two hours max, if you go to church on Wednesdays or Sunday nights a week, that you hear sermons. We can only grow so much through those. We cannot really thrive spiritually by just listening to a sermon once or twice a week or even reading a short and small devotional. And I'm not against devotionals whatsoever, but small devotionals that you get through an email or through the daily bread cannot be what defines your walk with Jesus. We should be growing in the Word. Paul was talking about how we should desire more than just the milk of the Word. That as babes desire the milk from the mother, they will eventually grow from that milk and end up eating real food. And the same happens for us spiritually. We should grow from the milk of the Word into the meat of the Word. And that happens through our personal time in Scripture. And there is a huge difference between a devotional reading and Bible study. Devotional reading is just opening God's Word, reading what it has to say, and just gleaning from the text, maybe meditating on the text, maybe just not having a pen, not necessarily having a highlighter or something to journal with, but just reading and taking the Scripture in, but not actually digging into the Scripture to see what it says, what it means, and, and really how it can apply to your life. But Bible study is looking deeper into the text. It takes a lot more effort than just devotional reading. It is digging deep into the depths of Scripture to understand what it's having to say, to understand the cultural context, to understand uh, exactly what God is wanting us to know and, and, and get from this passage or get from that chapter or get from those few verses and then apply it to how we can live it out in our life. Ultimately, it is diving into the richness of the Scriptures. But why should we study the Bible? You will never do anything unless you know the why behind it. If you cannot answer the why, you will not do the what. And so, why should we study the Bible? Well, I just want to share with you a few thoughts about that. First of all, we study the Bible so we can grow as a Christian. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This passage is amazing because it is discussing about how the word of God is active. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is is nothing like a textbook. And so many people approach Scripture like it's just another textbook from college or from high school. 
but the scriptures is literally the word of God. And we're going to look at this here in just a second in a little more detail. But those scriptures are living and powerful in doing something with that. They are sharper than any two-edged sword. And then he says that the purpose of them is that they are discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You cannot grow until you know where you are. And the scriptures reveal to us where we are in our character, in our morality, in who we are as image bearers of God, in who we are as followers of Jesus, and as people. The scriptures open us up in a way that nothing else can and shows us where we are and then gives us the path of where God desires for us to be and how we can get there. The Word of God gets into the depths of your soul. Just like a, just like a sword can cut right through a person, the Scriptures cut right into the depths of your soul and reveal who you are and then shows you who God desires for you to be and the pathway for us to get there. And the Scriptures change everything about us. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But not just for us to grow, for us to know where we are, and then to grow in that. But we also have the Scriptures so we can be pure, so we can live a holy life. The Scriptures frequently tell us, Be holy, for I am holy. Throughout the Old Testament, and especially in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, God is constantly telling Israel and telling the priests about all the different sacrificial systems and, and the different feasts that they are to do. And he uses this phrase often, Be holy, for I am holy. Be pure. Be separated for a purpose. And the only way that we can live a holy and pure life is through being in the Scriptures. Psalm 119.11, I referenced it at the beginning of the podcast, but your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from God's word. That's the ultimatum. Either sin will push you away from the scriptures, how you're living your life, the, the actions that we take, the things that we think on will either push us away from scripture or scripture will will push away the sin in our life and will actually be the filter in which our thoughts go through and then we think biblically, we think godly, and we see from a biblical perspective in our life because we are in the scriptures. But not just for us to grow as a believer, not just to be pure as a believer, but also to be ready as a believer, for us to be ready for anything in life. 2 Timothy 3.16, one of my favorite verses uh, in discussing about Scripture, tells us this. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you catch what Scripture does for us as believers? Is first of all, through the inspiration of God. 
that that inspiration is the Greek word theonoustos, and it's two Greek words. Theos, which is the word for God, and then noustos, which comes from the word pneuma, which is the word for spirit or breath. So it's two Greek words put together to create one beautiful picture of God's word. And it's theonoustos, God breathed. It is the breath of God. We live here in Florida, so we don't see this very often. But it gets cold every once in a while here. And there comes to a point when it gets around freezing, especially below freezing, that you go outside and you can breathe. You can, you can say a word or you can breathe into the air and you see your breath. And it just dissipates into the air. See, that, that visual of your breath, you're seeing uh, the, the mixture of the particles, and, and I don't know all the ins and outs uh, of how the breath and, the, and spit and everything like that works. However, nonetheless, the point is, is that the Word of God, breath of God. And as we dive into Scripture, we are experiencing the very words of the God of the universe. So it is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. It's useful. There is a purpose for God's word in our life. It's for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for when you're going the wrong way, God's word is what steers you back into the way that you're supposed to go. Instruction for righteousness. I don't know if you've been there. I know I have. But just wondering, what is the right thing to do in a certain circumstance or encountering a situation that's very difficult? How do you know what the right thing is? How do you know what the right way to live is or the right things to think or the right things to do and say? Righteousness, doing the right thing, being in right standing with God. How do we know all of that? It's through Scripture. And then the purpose of it all is that so that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. Scripture is profitable for everything in your life. How you act, what you say, where you go, what you do, how your relationships are with people, how you treat somebody else, what you think about somebody else, how you treat yourself, what you think about yourself, how you view the world, how you handle problems at your job, how you handle people that are under you as a boss, how you actually treat your kids and raise your kids, how you go out and have friends. All of that stems from your relationship with God and your time in Scripture. The more you are in the Word of God, the more you are seeking the face of God through His Word, the more that you are ready and equipped for everything that this life has to throw at you. All right, we've looked at the why. So now let's look at getting started and actually opening up God's Word and beginning to look at it. Before we even crack open the Bible, we should go to God in prayer. Because we are finite beings, we are trying to understand an infinite God. And it is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand God without His help. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truths of Scripture. 
because the Holy Spirit is the one who's the author of the text. It is through the Holy Spirit. Second Peter tells us that the Word of God was given to us. Men wrote the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The best way I could illustrate this is that men were the pen and the Holy Spirit was the author. If you were to write a sentence, let's say you wrote this, Billy will be the next quarterback of the team. You wrote that with your pen on a piece of paper. Did the pen write that phrase? Yes. But did the pen come up with that phrase? Absolutely not. You did. The pen had no influence over the validity or the truth or what was written besides the fact that it was able to write it down. And you were the mind behind that phrase. You were the one who created, wrote down the author of that phrase. Billy will be the next quarterback of the team. And the same way is true for how we receive the scriptures. Because people often uh, will, will state that the Bible has errors because it was written by men. So, of course, it, it has to be fallible. It has to have some kind of errors in it because men are not perfect, so therefore Scripture cannot be perfect. But that is a false statement because that is a, a misunderstanding of the inspiration of God and how men directed and guided the thoughts of the people who wrote the Scriptures that they were just the pens. They were not the authors. God was the author of the text. He was the one who breathed the scriptures into being. Men were just used by God to bring about the scriptures for us to have and to know God more. But at any rate, we are to pray for God to reveal who he is to us in the scriptures, to guide us to the truths of his word and what he desires for us to do with the passage that we're reading about and for us to know and draw closer to him through that. But not just for us to pray, but we also have to use the right tools. We have to actually have the right equipment, if you will, on using and approaching Scripture. And the greatest thing that you can do is to get a good translation of the Bible. And the amazing thing about our society and the world we live in now is that we have unlimited access to the, to the richness of God's Word. I don't know if you understand how amazing this is because 20, 30 years ago, there would be no way for us to have the access that we have now to the Scriptures. But we can just Google any verse and you can have every translation that there ever has been in, in the English Bible at your fingertips. And so we have all of all that we need to get into the Bible and to have the right translations. And we're and you don't have to uh, remember this. You don't have to put this into some kind of uh, memory bank for you. But there's, a, there's different kinds of translations. And you have to have an understanding of that as you go to study God's Word. And just to give you a, a basic understanding of the different translations of Scripture, they're cut up into two different categories. You have formal equivalent and dynamic equivalent. So let me explain what these are. Formal equivalent are translations that the purpose of the translation and the translators, the scholars who are behind the translation, where they take the Hebrew from the Old Testament and portions of Aramaic, 
and then the Greek from the New Testament, they approach translating the Hebrew and Greek into English in a way that is just to be read, not necessarily to be studied at depth. And so it's a looser translation. And I'm not saying that it's a lesser translation by any means, but that it is not trying to be cut and dry close to the Greek and close to the Hebrew of, of exactly what it has to say, but yet still be readable. The sole purpose is for it to just be readable and not necessarily to be cut and dry close to the Greek in Hebrew. It is just easier to read. It is, it is great for devotional reading. It's great for understanding different stories. Um, but formal equivalent is not the best translation the, the, those, those types of translations to study God's Word. And those translations include some of the major formal equivalent you may be familiar with would be such as the NIV or the NLT. Um, and then the message is, is in a category of its own because it in and of itself is basically a paraphrase that is not a translation. The, the message Bible is almost like a commentary of Scripture. And so... Uh, there's nothing wrong with reading the message, but I would not use that for my devotional reading, or I would not even, I would definitely not use that for my for my Bible study. So formal equivalent, a looser translation, not lesser, um, but just not quite there for Bible study, um, in, in my personal opinion. But dynamic equivalent is, in my opinion, best for Bible study, and let me explain why I think that. The translators, their purpose was to look at the Hebrew, to look at the Greek, and to decide the best way possible to stay as close as possible to each of the original languages that the scriptures were written in, and yet still be readable. Because there's really no way, especially in the Greek, for us to translate word for word from Greek to English. Because, for example, Greek... Uh, the order of words in a sentence did not matter. You, you could have a sentence structure. It would have all the elements of a, of a sentence structure that we would have in English, but the order of it would be completely different. In Hebrew, the order is not the same as English. And so if we were to translate it exactly the way it's written in the Hebrew and the Greek, it would just not be readable in English. It would be English words but it wouldn't really make a lot of sense to us in the structure of how we, um, it, grammatical structure in English. However, what they do is they try to stay as close as possible to the Greek, as close as possible to the English, but still be readable. So these translations are the New King James. These are just the, the major translations, the, the, the more familiar translations, the New King James the NASB, the ESV, um, the CSB, and then there's a new translation that is being developed and coming out soon called the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. And their purpose, the, the translators, the scholars, way smarter than I ever will be. Uh, I love Greek and Hebrew, but they are well, well beyond anything I could ever dream of being and understanding in, in the original languages. But their purpose was for us to be able to be as close to the author's intent of the text in its meaning and in its, in its word structure. 
And so it's sometimes it loses readability because they're wanting to stay closer to the text, but yet these are great translations to use for Bible study because of the translator's intent to be close to the Greek and Hebrew. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear. Just a, just a very brief overview and, and basic understanding of the different types of translations. And so my encouragement for you is when you approach studying Scripture, in-depth study in Scripture, I would use something like the New King James, NASB, ESB, and even the CSB are great translations to use. Nothing wrong with the NIV, nothing wrong with the NLT if you use those. But they are not always, in my opinion, the best for Bible study. Bible reading, but not Bible study. So how can we approach studying the Bible? What is the, a, a method that we can use to actually uh, do our due diligence to study what the Scriptures have to say and for us to interpret it correctly? When you approach the Word of God, you want to look at what does the text say. You could rephrase this as observation. What, what is the text saying? And it literally means what it sounds. What do you see? You're taking notes of the context. You're looking at uh, who's the author, who's the audience, uh, what is the overall theme of the book, what are some phrases and words that are repeated, um, wh what's the setting, what the, if it's a story, if it's a narrative, who are the characters, uh, what, what city or what nation is this about, uh, who are the major or minor characters, who, who's a protagonist, what's the problem. Looking at the story arc, where where's the solution to the problem in the narrative? Just taking notes of what's happening, what is happening in the text. Literally, what do you see? And as you look at this, you can ask some questions such as, how does this passage that you're looking at, if you're looking at a smaller passage in the context of a greater whole of a book or chapter uh, of, of Scripture, what does this passage have to do with the major theme of the book? Or, again, who's the author? Who was, who was the intended audience of this letter or book or story? Um, what are some of the main thoughts that are being shared in this? And it's literally, again, as, as it sounds, just looking at the text, taking notes of it. And my encouragement for you is have a journal or have a notebook, or if you like to use digital platforms, have your computer or iPad right beside your Bible, and write down what you see. Literally take notes of the things that you see in the Scriptures, and then you can really have a good picture of what's happening in the text. Okay? So not just observation, what does the text say? But number two, what does the text mean? And you could also rephrase this as interpretation. And as you go to interpret the Scriptures you want to definitely look at the verbs. What, what is happening? What is the actions that are being called to do or maybe the actions that the characters are doing within the story or the text? Verbs often throughout the scriptures carry the main ideas, or if you will, points of the passage. Verbs will oftentimes carry the flow of the text. You will see verbs carrying um, the, the thought process of what the author is wanting to say. 
You want to be paying very close attention to commands in Scripture, such as go, or see, or believe, or walk, or something of that sort. Be humble. Be holy. If Scripture is telling you to do something, pay close attention to that. Commands are essential, especially in the epistles. Commands are very important. And then you want to look at transition words. And transition words uh, give the progress, or they, they many times change the direction of the passage. And there's, there, there's the big three transition words you want to be uh, paying close attention to in Scripture, such as and, um, but, therefore, or since. And I often say this with, with our youth ministry, um, but if you see the word therefore in Scripture, you want to ask, what is it there for? If you see therefore, what is it there for? Because nine times out of ten, therefore, the word therefore is there because there's something happening before that word is used that connects to what is about to be said. And so if you're starting with a, a passage that has the word therefore in it, then you want to go back several verses or even a whole chapter or more to see what is the author connecting this new thought to an old thought. Therefore is very important, but is very important. And a word that we often look past in reading, and is very, very important in Scripture. Because these transition words will tell when there is a new idea or argument within the text. You want to pay attention to lists. Lists are very essential to understanding the passage, especially, again, in the epistles. When you see a list in Scripture, ask, what is this list about? What is the purpose of this list? Why is this list being given? And what is this list trying to tell me, maybe about myself or about God? For example, in Exodus 34, verse 6, the stone tablets are being replaced after Moses dropped them in anger over the sin of the Israelites with the golden calf. So God is replacing the, the, the two stone tablets. And here in verse 6, the passage tells us, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren and the third to the fourth generations. So look at this list. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. So there is a description about to come about who God is. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in loving kindness. He abounds in truth. He keeps loving kindness for thousands. He forgives the iniquity and transgression and sin. But he's also a just God who will not leave the guilty unpunished. See, this list gives us a declaration of who God is, the character of God. And so pay attention to lists. Do they describe something about God, describe something about us? 
or about how our walk should be before Jesus or things that we should stay away from as Christians. Lists often carry key points and or supporting ideas to the main ideas. Also look at speech. Especially in a narrative, pay attention when people are speaking. In a narrative, the key ideas are happening when the characters are speaking. Always, always, always. It should go without being said, but always, always, always pay close attention to when Jesus is speaking in the Gospels. And in the epistles, take note of when the Old Testament is being quoted. Because that is a very important and very significant fact that they are quoting something from the Old Testament to validate what they are arguing for or what they may be arguing against. Or many times the quotations from the Old Testament, especially in the Gospels, are pointing to how Jesus is the fulfillment and the true Messiah that all the Jews were waiting for. And so look at, look at those who are speaking or look at quotations from the Old Testament. Also, when you see words that are repeated, pay close attention to those because we learn by repetition and God knows how to write to us and God knows how we best learn. And God often repeats things in Scripture that are very important for us to take note of. Scripture uh, puts the main ideas in there over and over and over again. If you see something in a story being repeated, if you see a character doing the same thing but maybe in different ways, maybe there's a main idea or something to be taken away from that. If there is a word that is constantly repeated, maybe maybe not just in a chapter but in a few verses or even in a verse, take note of what that word is. Maybe you should look up that word and do a word study on what's happening in the text with that word. And where that word is used elsewhere in Scripture, and how else is it repeated, and how else does the author connect it connects that to the main idea? So ask questions like, was this word said in a different chapter or book, or was this word stated somewhere else in the Bible that will give you a better understanding of what the author is meaning by having that word repeated over and over again? Were written to a Jewish audience. And so we have to step out of our Western 21st century thought process and put ourselves into an Eastern, Middle Eastern, uh, 1st century, sometimes even earlier than that, uh, biblical context to understand what the author was intending for the audience to understand about what's happening. A wonderful way for you to understand the cultural and historical context of the scripture is in study Bibles, Bible dictionaries, commentaries, and, and all of these things can be accessed on the internet. You have to be very careful and make sure that you are using a credible source when it comes to finding commentaries. Um, and I will have a list in the description below of some of the major commentaries and websites where you can go and study uh, the cultural and historical context and get just some basic commentary uh, of what's happening in the passage that are reputable and that, in my personal opinion, are credible in their research and who they are. Um, and so as you look at interpreting Scripture, those are some of the main 
thought processes and the, the an, an umbrella view, if you will, of interpretation. So we have observation, what does the text say? Interpretation, what does the text mean? And then what everybody can't wait to get for, the application. What does the text mean for me? Scripture and, and Bible study is far greater and far more than just getting a head knowledge about God. We can take the extreme on the other end, instead of not reading God's Word at all, we can take it to the other end of the extreme and read Scripture just for the sake of knowledge, but not to actually spend time with God and to grow as a follower of Jesus. Scripture, if we let it, will change who we are. Remember, Hebrews says that it is living and active, and it is a discerner and 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 shows the intents of the heart. God's word will always apply to your life in either a principle or a command. There is something to be gleaned from the scriptures for our lives. God's word is not just given to us for the sake of giving it to us. The word of God, all scripture is God-breathed, and all scripture is the word of God. Therefore, all scripture is profitable in some way, shape, or form for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So here are several questions that you can ask in almost any given passage that will give you a great outline on how to make sure that you are having an, an application of Scripture in your life. And this list, I can't take credit for it um, whatsoever because this list was uh, given by Adrian Rogers. Uh, he has gone on to be with the Lord. He is a hero of the faith of mine. And Adrian Rogers has a list in one of his books, um, th this, these guiding questions to applying God's Word to your life. So here are the six questions that Adrian Rogers lays out for us. Number one, is there a promise to claim? Number two, is there a lesson to learn? Number three, is there a blessing to enjoy? Number four, is there a command to obey? Number five, is there a sin to avoid? And number six, is there a new thought to carry with me? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a lesson to learn? Is there a blessing to enjoy? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to avoid? And is there a new thought to carry with me? When you look at what the text says, what the text means, and what the text desires for you to do, the observation, interpretation, and application, have your heart and mind ready to respond to the Word of God. I'm so thankful that you decided to join me here on Firmly Planted Podcast. And do not forget to subscribe, click uh, the five-star button, make sure that we get this podcast into as many lives as possible as we dive into Scripture, as we get to know the God of the universe more through His Word. So thankful for you. Please know that you are loved, you are prayed for, and if you have any questions, please Go to BeFirmlyPlanted.com and message me there. 
Have a blessed day.